sensation and sound. Viewed to stimulate around the eyes. Greatest and greatest wellness trends, treatments, and experience. Magnesium is naturally found in foods like. This is the Well and Good podcast. Tune in to find the wellness that fits your frequency. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The desire to be healthy is nothing new, but wellness in its current form is almost an obsession, especially for the American woman. I'm director of podcast Taylor Camille, and today we're in conversation with someone who has firsthand experience with how the pursuit of wellness can take hold of our lives, and so she's written a book about it. Rena Raphael's Gospel of Wellness, Gems, Gurus, Goop, and the False Promise of Self-Care is a book about American women's persistent search for a cure to all that ails them, and their journey to regain something that they believe they've lost. But as Rena will share, there's got to be a better way. We hope you enjoy our conversation. I'm Rena Raphael. I'm a wellness industry journalist and the author of the book, The Gospel of Wellness. And so when did you first really become interested in covering wellness and what did that look like for you? Yeah, so I was a lifestyle and business reporter and I usually used to report on things like fashion, and food. Um, and when I moved to LA in about 2015, I got really into wellness culture. Like I was going to every boutique fitness gym. I tried out every trend. I was eating clean. I was buying all the kombucha. You know, uh, my pantry was filled with natural wine. You name it, I got it. And so over time, my pitches started to reflect my metamorphosis. So then at a certain point in 2017, a fast company let me cover the industry full time. And I started a newsletter called Well To Do, where I basically interviewed and profiled almost every wellness brand, big and small. So everyone from Gwyneth Paltrow to biohacking guru Dave Asprey to even founders of you know supplement brands or um, sleep gadgets. So it, it sort of happened over time. So I kind of got into this industry from both a personal perspective and a professional one. And it's a hard one, I feel like, to get out of. (laughs) Once you're in it, you're kind of in it. Now that it's so big, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) And so can I ask you just before we dive in to kind of like set the stage for like what is the capital W wellness industry? What's behind it? Kind of how long has it held us captive? All of all of the above. 
You know, I think it's funny that one of the number one questions that I get is, what what is wellness? Like, I, what is it? I can't even figure it out. How do I define it? And I think that's both the strength and weakness of this industry. Um, so wellness obviously is the pursuit of health, and that's usually nutrition, fitness, sleep management, mental health. It's whatever you individually need to feel better. There is no one prescribed path. Um, on that end, it's really beautiful that you can individualize it. On the other hand, because it's such an ambiguous umbrella term, that means that this industry has been able to really push anything under that term. Like literally anything can be wellness. I mean, that's the problem. Wellness can mean uh, CBD toilet paper as much as it does meditation. And so what that means is that at a certain point, this industry got so big and it became harder for the average shopper to figure out What's real wellness? What'll actually make me feel better? What will help me actually attain these goals that I need? And what is just kind of like basically snake oil or just trying to make a sale off of me? And granted, this isn't anything new. The real pillars of the wellness industry started back in the 60s, but we kind of saw a resurgence of this in the last 20 years. And so it's kind of gone from like good nutrition and boutique gyms to you know, detoxes and cleanses and crystal infused water bottles. And, and this is where I think the average person gets really confused by it all. Yeah, it is. It is confusing. And even in your book, you like you gave such a great description. And then you're like, does that sound general and vague? And it's just like it's such a great setup because it is general and vague. And I think even here at Well and Good, we often find it tricky in, rep in our reporting to just not be super biased to like help our audience realize like you got to figure out what works for you, whether it's on trend or not. And that can be very difficult because sometimes people just want to drink the Kool-Aid. Um, totally. And so finding that fine line is always difficult. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of this is actually figuring out, like you said, what works for you. And this is why I always tell people, just because something worked for an influencer or just because there's some cure-all marketing claim, doesn't mean it'll work for you. It could have worked for that person. So there is a bunch of trial and error. And there's also just a lot of what I call, or what has been called, science washing, which is that you see some sort of marketing claim and it says, like, clinically tested. But like, what does that actually mean? It means it was tested. It doesn't necessarily mean it works. So there has been a kind of butchering of the term wellness and terms like self-care. And, and I think we've kind of gotten to a point now where you have a savvier consumer who's saying, wait, I'm not buying in on everything. What is this actual product? What is the science behind it? And, you know, I tried out, you know, XYZ trend and it didn't work. So I'm not going all in this time. Yeah, exactly. It just comes with learning, comes with, comes with trial by error for sure. Yeah, totally. Um, and so I wondered like if we could think back how you would really describe the version of wellness you practice when you were just getting out on the scene in LA many, many years ago. I think it was quite perfectionist and really infused with productivity and consumerism. I really felt like I needed all of these accessories and clothing and drinks and um, supplements to be healthier. And I don't necessarily know that it was always helping me. As I explain in the book, uh, clean eating gave me disordered eating. Um, mm. Being obsessed with my Fitbit uh, made me um, consumed with whether or not I took enough steps and then I would punish myself if I didn't work out for a day. So. 
you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to completely criticize this industry because this industry has a lot of good, a lot of bad and a whole lot in between. But the point of the book is to, first of all, explain why are we so attracted to wellness? Mm -hmm. What has happened in America? What has happened in our society that has made us gravitate towards this? Um, but and also the ways that wellness helps us. But in other ways, it might be also harming us. Some of the messaging and some of the pressures are not making women feel better and it's not making them healthier. It's having the opposite effect. Right. And I really love that about your book because you really like show compassion and you bring up this point in the book about gold unicorns. We tend to chase these gold unicorns. So I wondered if you could tell what what this gold unicorn concept is, where did it come from and why so many consumers are always chasing chasing the next thing. And how can we stop? Like can we stop? <laughs> kind of like Yeah, actually that that term uh, chasing golden unicorns was coined uh, by exercise physiologist and nutritionist Bill Sukala. And um, basically what it means is that we're essentially a country, especially, that is kind of looking for easy remedies, the quick fixes. And that's partially because we're an overly optimistic nation. And when you're overly optimistic, the drawback to that is that you're also more gullible. Mm -hmm. So it sounds a lot better and easier to just do some, you know, self-care ritual, like a bath bomb or buy some supplement than to do what is actually necessary to be healthy or to even look at the root causes. Um, I have one chapter that really gets into this idea that I think is essential, which is that so many people gravitate towards the wellness industry versus the medical industry because they say, oh, my doctor isn't looking at the root issues. But then they do the same exact thing with wellness. They're just masking symptoms. The reason you are stressed is not because you don't prioritize bubble baths. Maybe you need to have a talk with your boss <laughs> about not emailing you after 6 p.m. Yeah. You know, like uh, some skincare ritual is not going to <laughs> to manage the unequal distribution of housework. Like this is, <laughs> this is what makes me so upset. It's it's essentially silencing women instead of telling them to get loud and say, what is going on in this country? What can we do? How can we band together and yeah. look for communal structural solutions versus just saying we need to buy or do all the stuff to feel better? Yeah, it's it's almost like very patronizing. And this is where I bring in again. It's not a blanket critique of the entire industry, but there's a misogynistic side to wellness messaging. Mm -hmm. That you women need to all just, you know, meditate your problems away. That's not true. I, I think women should get loud and really fight back and say, okay, what is the problem? Let me go figure it out. Yeah. 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 I have an entire chapter called Why is the Advice Always Yoga? Yeah. I'm not stressed because I don't have enough yoga in my life. That's not the reason why. And I think yoga is <laughs> nice. And listen, hold on. I have to say, like, you say that this book is very compassionate, and that's because I'm writing this book also for myself. Mm -hmm. Listen, I am, first of all, I live in ground zero for wellness. I'm in LA, but also I tried all these trends and I right. still buy kombucha. I still buy all of this stuff. So I, I have compassion for myself. The difference is that I don't drink the Kool-Aid on everything now, and I am much more cognizant of what actually needs to be done and what is the nice to have. Because yeah, a lot of these exactly. things are just the nice to have. So they're the extra amenities, but they're not what's actually going to make you feel better. Yeah, definitely. 
That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. We can give people the proper information, but if they want to be entertained by or comforted by the elixir that will give them everlasting life, like... Can we stop them? And what kind of is our responsibility as a larger wellness or even wellness curious community um, in in setting the, the record straight? Um, you give some great examples of organizations that are already doing it, like Well Spoken and Food Science Babe and doctors that are like flooding TikTok to kind of rid the, the um, false information. But yeah, what's kind of our responsibility there and like who's helping with the solutions? Right. So, you know, this is kind of a complex issue because so much of this industry is basically based on hope. It's a lot of people buying something because they want to believe, like I said, sometimes in a quick fix, but also just in the promise of a future that's free of sickness, stress, aging, whatever it is. So it's really hard to convince someone out of something that's lacking scientific evidence because their belief in it is not based on science or logic. It's based on emotion. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Even when you press purchase on something, you think, oh, I'm taking action. I'm taking action towards my health. So there's a lot of emotion and a lot of hope writing on this stuff. So when you try to dispel something, it oftentimes is not going to work because that's not what you're dealing with there. Um, and in terms of sort of our responsibility, I don't know if you mean the media or brands, um, but you know, like those, those are, there's, there's a lot of responsibility. Yeah, a, lot of, <laughs> a lot of people taking a white fingers. At. Yeah. And I mean, listen, I, I myself, I mean, the book traces how I was incorrect about certain things that I even published for top publications. And that is partially because a lot of wellness is treated like fashion these days. It's not necessarily being mm -hmm. written about by people who A, have a scientific background or are checking with the right credentials or, or you know, checking it with physicians, scientists, medical experts. Um, so that's how a lot of misinformation gets out there. You know, one example I give is if you're concerned about toxic ingredients in your consumer care products or in your beauty products, you shouldn't be speaking to a dermatologist. You should be speaking to a toxicologist or a cosmetic chemist right. because they know about formulations and definitely don't depend on the brand spokesman. That person got paid. They're biased. A part of this conversation we really wanted to touch on was like, what's next, right? Like the Gen Z is coming. The Gen Z. Gen Zers are coming. Like the Gen Zers are coming. <laughs> <laughs> Me as an older millennial is very scared. But um, mm -hmm. I was really surprised when I read in Well To Do, your newsletter about 
I wasn't I wasn't surprised that you shared 67% of adults are becoming more like growing to mistrust brands. But I was surprised that, you know, the experts you talked to seem to think that Gen Z wants to know the science, that they really want to know who's backing the products, that they are like curious and want to make sure it's verified, which in my perception, maybe I'm just a millennial jerk, but I feel like they're scrolling <laughs> on TikTok. They're just seeing who's getting the likes and the attention. So yeah, so these pieces are always really difficult to write, you know, because you don't want to paint with too wide a brush. Yeah. But there is a real segment of them that are kind of pushing back against this perfectionist productivity mandate of wellness that they associate with millennials, right? The perfect acai bowl, the matching mm -hmm. Lululemon set. Um, you know, everything that we did, you have to, I'm so you know, triggered. like <laughs> I'm just like tracking everything you eat and tracking on your Fitbit. Like they're, they're like, I don't want to do that. And I think even anecdotally, when I speak to Gen Zers, they're like, yeah, I'm going to have some goldfish crackers and I'm not going to dye the ingredients. Like everyone calm right. down. And by the way, it's millennials too. I spoke to a lot of people who post pandemic were like, you know what? I spent the last year and a half without my fancy gym, without my fancy juices, and everything was fine. Like instead I went on a walk or I went on mm -hmm. a hike and the world didn't collapse and my health was fine. In fact, my health was even better. So there right. is a lot to be said about just sort of relaxing a bit. That was a lot of what I took away too, was just that like, what does wellness look like when we don't have the excess? And how does that really make you feel when you're not performing wellness, you're actually practicing wellness? It's funny you say that because I was speaking to some fitness experts who were telling me that uh, HIIT workouts uh, have sort of taken a little bit of a beating and now walks are really in. And I'm like, that's amazing. And they're like, yeah, go on TikTok. Yeah. You know, is it called the hot girl walk? And I'm like, oh, man, are we are we butchering the walk now? Now you have to get all dressed up to go on a walk, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, but this is what we're it's like playing whack-a-mole, you know, like one thing is good that another thing is bad. And that's part of this industry. And I think we're always going to see that, you know, part of this L.A. Times piece that I wrote about how Gen Z is kind of transforming wellness. You know, I mentioned that activated mm. charcoal is on the decline. And I'll tell you why. It's because people bought it. And they were like, I don't think this does anything. And then they moved on. But then they put their hope in something else. Now it's like chlorophyll in my yeah. beauty products or sea moss. Like there's always going to be the next thing. And so you have to sort of take a step back and be like, do I want to buy into this? What is this based on? And do I really need it? Or is it just a shiny extra that's just kind of pulling me into the cult of self-improvement? There was like a analogy you used I thought was really, really compelling, which was like the hourglass analogy you used. Right. So like one end is like the high, high, high end. And then the next is like, you're just trying to get a park in your neighborhood, right? Like that's the extremes that we're at in America where it's either super exclusive or you're at the YMCA. You really talk about wellness being at this lux right now, but how do we kind of stray away from that? Like, where do you see it going where it can be more encompassing of like, how nuanced and how expansive wellness can really be? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's a complicated answer because, mm -hmm. yes, I wish that there were more opportunities for the middle, right? As right. we said, it's an hourglass where it's just, you know, the middle, there's not a lot of options for the middle. Um, but those are complicated answers because, you know, a lot of times when we talk about, let's say, groups or neighborhoods that don't have access to these things, 
there's a lot of simplistic answers that are given like, oh, we just need to give them access to fresh food. We just need to build a gym. And it doesn't think about the time involved. If you are working two to three jobs, you cannot, you know, right. cook or bake nutritious meals. You don't have the time for it. You don't have time to go to the gym. Um, or if you live in rural America, you don't necessarily have broadband access where you could get a Peloton or do streaming workouts. So these are really, really tough solutions that I would say are not just industry based, like they're going to require government input, local city, state. And I, you know, I do put a lot of faith in, a, you know, not just Gen Zers, but a whole bunch of groups who are saying it's kind of gotten out of hand this last decade. You know, I look at a mind body survey recently that said that gym intimidation, mm. that people are scared to go to the gym unless they're already thin mm. and fit. I mean, that's what we've done. It's not just the lux. It's the way that we've made everything seem like you already have to be so healthy and so perfect to participate. That's its own type of exclusionary system. So there's more discussion about it. I hope that leads to improvements. Um, until then, I just hope that the average consumer is just becoming more of a critical thinker right. in terms of what they buy and what they do. Right. I think that really is the end goal. And it's you mentioned in the book, it's like, it's not that people don't have the capacity to critically think, it's that maybe they weren't trained to do it or they need to re remember how to do it. And also you're wafting through so much information. Totally. And that's why this book is not saying that the consumer or that women aren't smart or they're not critical thinkers. It's that they're kind of being taken advantage of sometimes. Right. You know, I really put the burden on what brands are doing and also media. Yeah. And and listen, I, I go to the one of my favorite things is the class and I write about that. Yeah, and that's I'm right. sure that's what you wrote about. Yeah. And I'm sure well and good listeners are very familiar with Taryn Toomey's workout. But like I get a lot out of it. I get to go to a class, scream my head off do some jumping jacks. That really works for me. But I wouldn't mm -hmm. say it's going to work for everyone. But I don't want to make it seem like everything in this industry is a con. It's definitely not because like, that's something I love. But I definitely have friends who've gone there and been like, I don't know what this not is. I can't. I can't do this. <laughs> like, but I love it. it. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and you can have it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, totally. You kind of touched on this, but Will we always be looking for <laughs> ways to be well, to feel our best, most optimal selves? Um, and, you know, what's driving that besides marketing and fear mongering? Well, the pursuit of health and wellness is an age old pursuit. And throughout the book, I think you notice that there's always kind of a flashback in history mm -hmm. showing that our influencers, however innovative we want to claim they are, uh, are actually just heir to a long, long legacy, clean eating, you know, like fitness optimization. I mean, these are all old things are over a century old. Yeah. So uh, I don't think we're ever going to get rid of this. However, I do see the self-optimization discourse lessening just a little bit. And I think especially coming out of the pandemic and especially with women, all the pressures that we're under, you know, in terms of politically, but in at the home and work, you know, I, I think that there is a little bit more talk of just calming everyone a little bit and maybe just not taking it to the nth degree, a little bit more compassion for all of the work that we have and all of all of the pressures. And we don't want to add to that. At start, you said you're 
old version of wellness was perfectionist. How would you describe how you're getting to your most optimal self in the version of wellness that you practice now? I don't talk about myself in terms of optimal, but I do, I have lessened the things that I used to do Mm -hmm. and I think I'm a lot better for it. And this is just me personally. Um, but uh, I definitely ditched clean eating because that was driving me crazy. Um, and you know, I don't, I try not to beat myself up if I can't work out every day. I really used to do that. And it's not easy. I've been trained for so long. And I also, you know, I speak about in the book that I really conflated thinness with health. Mm -hmm. It's really hard for me when I gain weight and I have gained weight and I work really, really hard on that on telling myself that that's fine. That doesn't mean I'm unhealthy. Um, Perhaps I was actually too skinny beforehand. Um, But these are things that take years to undo, this type of thinking. So I definitely don't buy into everything. I'm practicing self-compassion. And I'm definitely looking up everything that's marketed to me. And I'm also realizing that there's a study for everything. And that doesn't mean that it's a good study. So there's definitely a level of, you know, what we call evidence. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know, check with me in like three years <laughs> and see how I'm doing. <laughs> well, what word would you describe like the wellness you practice now? Relaxed. 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 Yeah. 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 That's a great word. That feels good. Yeah. Yeah. On today's show, you heard me in conversation with Rena Raphael. This episode was scripted in part by Sarah Gabrielli and produced by Ella Dove, Abby Stone, and myself, Taylor Camille, along with many other hands and brains at Well and Good. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share. Mixing and scoring also by Sarah Gabrielli with assistance from our sound engineer, Joanna Samuel. And our theme music was created by Madeline Lakomsky and Matt DiDomenico. Our show art was designed by Jenna Gibson and Karina Masonette.